Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a really exciting one. I'm thrilled to have him on here. Andy Neese is here, the producer of The Flagrant Ones. Hey, Andy. How's it going? Hello. Doing well. Exciting to talk some horror. The best horror. Only the best for me. I'm thrilled to have you on here. This is a movie that I'm really excited to talk about, and yeah, it's genuinely when i was getting into horror uh there were times when i was like really scared but nothing ever really like stopped me from sleeping except this movie (laughs) so this is a this is a real doozy for me yeah this is one i yeah i mean we'll we'll get into it yeah i i know what you mean (laughs) are you a horror fan going way back or is this something you got into later Pretty young. I feel like I remember watching, probably too young, and <laughs> sort of having that like sort of excitement of late at night on Halloween or something, there'd be a horror movie <laughs> sure. on or something like that. And like, you know, kind of scaring myself, but then kind of going back and watching more, I feel like is like, that's the, yeah, you know, everyone, every horror fan's kind of chasing it's tradition. that. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's great. It, do you have uh, like a preference? Was there something that you uh, like really grew up watching a lot of or, or something that you have a nostalgic affection for in terms of like subgenre? I was trying to like sort of piece together when I ended up seeing a lot of these movies. And I think what happened was when I was like a teenager, I would like reserve these movies at, at the library and I would be like, Oh, I'm going to go. And I, I think I even probably like saw a list of like the scariest, you know, horror movies or something like that. And I'm like, I'm going to watch all of these cause I'm a big tough man. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, also the best little horror house in Philly, uh, endorses, library definitely uh, oh yeah libraries are incredible a wonderful uh institution that i hope continues to be funded one of my most formative horror things that happened to me was like in the horror section of the library like of the tapes you could rent there was one tape that had no cover at all just in big it was like a like a white background in red text it just said the blood on satan's claw <laughs> And it was the scariest thing because it was like, I don't, I was like, what is, what is in this? Like, what is this movie? Like, why can't they show, why are there no pictures? Like I would like my mind just immediately assumed that it was so scary that they weren't allowed to like show anything. It probably was just somebody like ruined the actual cover of the movie and made their own or something. But it was like, like, you know, I would be like afraid of that section, not because of like all the spooky. Well, that was the thing too, like going in the, you know, like renting a movie and seeing all the like spooky covers and stuff and being afraid. But that one was the scariest. Exactly. Yeah. Your picture. imagination has to do all the work. Yeah. And then I looked it up and it's like kind of just like a sort of like medium reviewed, like British folk uh, horror that I still always? haven't seen. But maybe it's, it could be fun. Yeah. People. <laughs> I feel like growing up, it was always marathons of like Halloween movies or something like that, which I don't, you know, I I enjoy, but I feel like what really solidified my love of horror is really well done horror comedies, stuff like, I mean, I think, yeah, I think a lot of, you know, (laughs) I was looking through all your guests have already picked a lot of ones of my favorite, but like Evil Dead 2, American Werewolf in London, like stuff like that when it's like can balance scares with comedy well like that, like it's like nothing better for me I definitely love that. I, I think that the fact that horror and comedy both come from surprise and the subversion of the normal situation yeah exactly. being able to pair those two things together you know it's all about getting a reaction out of people um and and 
I think that when you compare them together well, like Cabin in the Woods, like Evil Dead 2, you know, it's super effective. And it's the kind of thing that really sticks with you as opposed to some of the movies that might just kind of fade into the background otherwise. Yeah, that balance of like two very extreme emotions that are also, you know, yeah, it's like that weird connection where they're, you know, the mechanism is almost <laughs> the same, but it's two, you know, like the complete opposite yeah. end of emotions. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I love just like whatever extremes you can give me like in a movie, I'm like excited <laughs> for it. Right. So speaking of extremes, the movie that we're talking yeah. about today is 1973's uh, The Exorcist. This is a hell of a picture. Hell, is that on purpose? That's very funny. <laughs> It uh, it really, it, it shakes me to my core, like I said, it, which is interesting because I'm not a religious person. Even uh, mm. growing up, I wasn't Catholic. <laughs> like Something about this movie just really is so scary to me. And I, I don't know what it is. Was the religious aspect of this movie something that um, something that clicked with you when you were watching it for the first time? Right. Well, I I was raised Catholic, so uh, <laughs> that that aspect of it in I feel like it wasn't. I don't know. My my like Catholic upbringing probably was a lot more mild than I think most people have. Like it, I grew up in a very like suburban town where there was not a lot of you right. know like the the guilt <laughs> and all that the the stuff that's normally associated with Catholicism, like the fear of hell and the guilt and stuff was was pretty toned down. But it still was like you know like growing up on it, I was like yeah. This, <laughs> You know, I have to, I got to be careful. I got to pray. I got to, I guess the movie is like, stay away from Ouija boards. Like that's sort of, it kind of implies that that's the the reason that she got possessed in the first place. So it's like, yeah, you know, I I, I was like, there is sort of that, thing in the back of my mind that was like be careful this this maybe could happen though i don't think it was quite as like oh my god like this is for sure right. real i'm definitely going to be like possessed. have you ever used a ouija board i must have at some point and it's yeah i don't know have you is it i feel like that's i i'm yeah like my friends i'm sure at some point tried it out and it's just like i don't know it feels like it felt I just assumed somebody was moving <laughs> like somebody like was was pranking my me. dad one time I like we like were just like walking past a Ouija board or something and I was like oh this is interesting like and my dad's face just went really pale and he was like <laughs> don't touch that like we're not getting it we don't have Ouija boards in the house and I was like why and to this day he has not told me <laughs> he wow. refuses to talk some about kind it. of history yeah so wow. something going on there but on the flip side of that i have been the guy moving the thing <laughs> uh it was you all <laughs> it along it was me all along <laughs> i figured it. i mean i know that there's like that whole thing where it's like it's like almost the collective it's like everybody pushing it yeah. but my i always kind of just figured no it's one somebody over somebody's like the one that's like really <laughs> i for sure was like this is what i think it would be fun for it to say <laughs> Yes, exactly. So, you know, listeners out there, if you have had a a crazy experience with a Ouija board, uh, definitely (laughs) write in, let us know. Yeah, let us. Yeah, if your dad is listening, I'm <laughs> yeah. curious. You know, you can if it's too. If you don't want anyone to know, you can DM me yeah. and tell me the story. Yeah. Uh, Papa Hef, if your dad's get in on there. Twitter, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll, I'm sure that this, he'll sign up for Twitter just for this. Uh, <laughs> Great. Yeah, that'd be perfect. <laughs> so this was released in 1973, directed by William Friedkin and written by mm-hmm. William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book two years earlier. Yeah. Interestingly, he uh, appeared on the Groucho Marx show, You Bet Your Life, and won $10,000, saying that he planned to take some time off to work on a novel, which is this. 
Whoa, I did not know yeah. that. That's super interesting. Yeah, move over <laughs> the mountain goats. There's a new game shows touch our <laughs> lives in town. But it, it, this book was a huge hit. Uh, he based the novel on a supposedly mm-hmm. genuine exorcism from 1949. And even though the book was a bestseller, when they were trying to cast this movie, they had a lot of trouble, especially for the role of the mother, Chris McNeil. They mm-hmm. offered the role to a ton of stars who turned it down, including Jane Fonda, Anne Bancroft, Audrey Hepburn, Barbara Streisand, Raquel Welch, Shirley MacLaine, and Carol Burnett for the role of Chris. Jack Nicholson and Paul Newman were also considered for Father Karras, and Brooke Shields, Sharon Stone, Laura Dern, and Jamie Lee Curtis were all considered for the role of Reagan. A lot of wow. big names did not do this movie. <laughs> right, yeah, it's interesting, especially because, like, really other than... Um... Ellen Burstyn, I feel like there aren't really any like big celebrities in it. It feels like they're mostly unknowns, but though that sounds like they were going for like a really big star cast. What they wound up with is so far removed from what Warner Brothers wanted. Like Ellen Burstyn, she she is a, a, a star comparatively, but e- like even then she was relatively unknown. She actually also only agreed right. to do the movie if they removed the line, I believe in the devil from the script. <laughs> Yeah, that was a step too far for her. <laughs> wow. Speaking of other people that you mentioned, did you read what um, Jane Fonda said? Like when she turned down the movie, she said something like, this is like capitalist trash or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like a very like Jane Fonda response yeah. to it. It's very funny. <laughs> Dude, Jane Fonda rules. Yeah, um, great. <laughs> um, and Linda Blair was completely unknown at the time. And mm-hmm. Jason Miller, he, he plays Father Karras. He was a playwright who had never acted in movies before. Wow, I didn't know that part. I, I definitely went through and like did some research on this going through. But yeah, I don't that you're I'm still <laughs> getting some new facts. That's interesting. I didn't realize he wasn't even an actor. Wow. But uh, the other stars include people like uh, Max von Sydow, uh, who is one of the stars in Flash Gordon and mm-hmm. the Seventh Seal as well. And I also the story of the voice of the demon in the body of Reagan is really interesting. It's Mercedes, yeah. uh, Mercedes McCambridge was the voice of Pazuzu the demon and. In order to create this voice that she uh, that she was giving, she insisted on swallowing raw eggs and chain smoking, and sh- she was also a recovering alcoholic and uh, wanted to drink whiskey because she knew that the alcohol would distort her voice and create the crazed state of mind that she was looking for, and. Wait, so she, did she went off the wagon or on the, whatever? It, she she like yeah. broke her like. <laughs> she had a priest with her. To kind of walk her through it <laughs> so that it was like removed and just for the character. But yeah, she literally fell off the wagon in order to uh, get it just right for this role. And I mean, it's not just yeah. what she did to her voice. She was also tied to a chair with a sheet to get a realistic sound of the demon struggling against the restraints. <laughs> and she recalls the experience as like just being horrifically angry all the time, she said. And Friedkin, the director, said that her performance and, like, what she was willing to do still terrifies him. <laughs> that's com- that's saying something coming from him because, as I'm sure you'll get into, he was – could he yeah, did all that stuff psychotic. too. Like, he's psychotic. Like, it's funny that that – yeah, like, they, she, he, she managed to shock him when he was doing shit like that throughout the entire yeah, his shoot. his whole – like goal was authenticity and so he would do Mm -hmm. things to get these reactions like 
uh, he he asked them, uh, "Do you trust me?" And then as soon as they said yes, just slapped him in the face. Yes, they should have. You should never say it that you trust William Friedkin. I think is the the lesson. Imagine there. Him, I just imagine him walking around Hollywood asking random people if they trust him, and then slapping the shit out of them and running off. Yeah, well, it doesn't work anymore. People know that people know his game now. Yes, it's William Friedkin, the rogue slapper. Um, keep an eye out for him out there, out in Hollywood land. <laughs> I know, yeah, you never but, know. But yeah, so he, he would do crazy stuff like that. He would fire a gun behind people to get like a shocked reaction. Um, he would have people uh, like wired up to like yank them around. Um, it, he literally gave mm-hmm. uh, a, a burst in a, a, like a permanent spinal injury <laughs> on her coccyx. And that's yeah, it's funny. Did you watch that like behind the documentary? It's like a like an hour long. No, like, not yet. I I have it downloaded. I just haven't gotten that's to it. That's one of the things. So that that moment is on screen, like the oh, you wow. see and she and it's like people are talking about it as if it's like kind of funny. Like the stunt coordinator, whoever who like yanked her down, was like, yeah. So ha ha ha. Like William Friedkin <laughs> told me to like really give it to her this time, and he like. She, you know, they're like the scene where like after she gets like slapped after that big, like, um, you know, like the, the crucifix scene, she's like on yeah. the ground holding her back. And it's like that moment is when she actually like, oh, broke wow. her tailbone. and she clearly like everyone's sort of joking around and like talking about it as if it's like a funny memory that all this stuff went down. But she's like, yeah, I'm pissed off that they use that in the movie. <laughs> and sure. it's like, yeah, I, I don't blame you. Yeah. That's a, that's pretty fucked up, but. I understand that he would. He's like, oh well, it's the most authentic take. But. Right. I mean, if that's what he's going for, yeah. I mean, she's yeah. truly in pain. So with McCambridge, her performance led to some controversy because it wasn't widely known at first that she contributed to the performance, and so Linda Blair, the little girl, received a Best Supporting Actress nomination for for her performance. And then when the information kind of got out there that McCambridge was the one who was the actual voice, there was a huge scandal. And the Academy was like, well, according to our rules, once we've given the nomination, we can't withdraw it. But the scandal wound up tanking Linda Blair's chances at the Oscar. So a lot of people who are fans of the movie are, like kind of hold that against McCambridge, which I think is lame. Um, I think that's just stupid that they would even like like what like so the only reason she got an oscar is because they thought she made like a scary demon voice like who can like that's stupid. like what that, that's yeah. a really big and why would they even think that it was a little girl like how could that ever be a little girl making that voice like it's so well, bizarre. that was why they were so impressed i guess well yeah i guess that's worthy of an oscar if she did somehow do that on top of all that there's these scandals. I mean, there are death threats going to little Linda Blair because they said that she was glorifying the devil. Basically, principal photography was difficult to the point that people think the production was cursed and or damned, mm-hmm. especially because of the subject matter. Most of the set burned down <laughs> at one point. Jesus. Blair and Burson both had accidents that caused long-term injuries, causing the, the film to take twice as long as scheduled and costing twice as much as the original budget to shoot. After all, that warner brothers was not they were like all right we're just gonna like shunt this to the side because we're pissed that it took so long and it cost us so much money so they released it in just 24 theaters Mm -hmm. in the u.s and canada 
on Christmas Eve. Oh, <laughs> Christmas Eve. I didn't know about that. Oh my! It God. got mixed critical reviews, but audiences didn't care. The mm-hmm. movie became just a huge cultural conversation piece. It. I mean, have you, I assume that you've looked into some of the the like reaction when this movie came out, but. The stories about it are crazy. I mean, I guess I only know sort of like the vague, you know, like people fainting and running out of the theater and stuff like that. But I'm sure do you yeah. know if there are any like, I don't know any specific. There's physical reactions like fainting and vomiting to scenes that uh, we'll talk about. Um, sure. <laughs> but there, there was heart attacks. There were miscarriages. One guy um, who fainted on the way down, he like broke his jaw on the seat in front of him. <laughs> so he sued Warner Brothers and they wound up settling out of court. Like they were like, all right, this is our fault. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so all kinds of crazy stuff. And the American Psychological Association and the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease carried a paper on cinematic neurosis triggered by this film. So pretty, uh, pretty crazy stuff. Wow, man. I mean, I, I wonder, I, I wonder if like Warner Brothers was secretly like, this is the best. Like this <laughs> is just like publicity. This is great. yeah. No, I mean, hey, uh, no press is bad press. They say. Guess, yeah. So it did well. well. Yeah, it did. It did do very well. I mean, it's crazy because on the one hand, you have stuff like obscenity charges keeping this from home video release in the UK mm-hmm. until 1999. So you're like, oh, people hated it. But then on the other hand, you're like, oh, this is the first horror movie nominated for Best Picture Award. It got 10 Academy Award nominations, even though it only won two. It is simultaneously this huge shared cultural passion that everyone saw and Mm -hmm. and it was on everyone's lips, but also it was this shunned kind of obscene nonsense blasphemy, according to people. So just a, a really interesting kind of dichotomy between those kind of reactions to it. Right, yeah, I had no idea it was nominated for that many Academy Awards. Like, yeah, everything I had read that it was, like, sort of, like, some people thought it was, like, too gratuitous or whatever, and then Mm -hmm. other critics, you know, praised it kind of thing. But that's, yeah. So it did win for adapted screenplay and sound mixing. Both of them, I think, merited uh, awards. Those are both great in there. But, yeah, it was a lot of performance nominations. Best Picture, like I said, wound up with 10 total. This Jaws, The Silence of the Lambs, the Sixth Sense and Get Out are the five horror movies that have been nominated for Best Picture. And Silence of the Lambs is the only winner from that group. Yeah, yeah I'm curious about what you think about the way that the the Oscars in general treat horror as a genre. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it it's the same, like we were saying, it's the same for comedy. It's really the same for anything that's not just like straight up drama which right. i think is yeah it's it's too bad i mean I, I i remember reading something recently that like has really like sort of allowed me to like release my frustration with the oscars in that they're really like someone was saying like they're not awards for like the best picture it's awards for what the, the sort of like hollywood for what the movie industry like how people how they want people to see them and so i feel like they want people to think like we are very mature we're very like you know smart and intellectual <laughs> like we're creating art here and like i feel like anything that doesn't fit that definition no matter how whether it truly is the best picture or the most important picture of the year it doesn't matter it's really just them being like no we want people to think this about us i under from that standpoint i understand it but i also think 
it's very dumb because like you know exorcist i'm sure at the time was you know like it's we're still talking about it like i'm sure whatever or you know maybe not maybe that was a good year for movies or something but i feel like it's so often that what they do end up actually giving best picture <laughs> right. is completely is like irrelevant by the next year and the stuff yeah. that people are actually talking about is usually like genre movies or is movies that have created some kind of like actual you know cultural impact and so you know it's yeah it's bad i wish yeah. that they would appreciate the artistry. i saw more. an interesting idea that was like the oscars should hold off for like a couple years and then stagger their awards so that you have some time to really sit on the year's movies and understand right. what has stayed culturally relevant and i thought that was an interesting idea i am not sure that i love it but i i, I don't know it's, it's i think that it, you're right in that so often we do completely forget about the ne- the movie by the next year. Like, So how many times are people mocking the choice, you know, a couple years later? I mean, people talk about Crash as this, uh, one, right. like an example yeah. of like the one of these most indulgent, terrible movies and it won Best Picture. So I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting. But as far as the way they treat horror, I'm very conflicted about it because on the one hand, I'm like, oh – if they recognized it, it would sort of detract from the outsider status. And, mm-hmm. like, it would be like winning the My Favorite Student Award from the teacher. <laughs> like, <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Like, I think there's sort of that appeal of horror being, like, a fringe But thing. on the other hand, I-, I would love for it to get more recognition because it's it's nice to say that when I'm consoling myself, I'm like, <laughs> oh, the Oscars don't mean anything. No one really cares. We all know award shows are bullshit. But in terms of cultural cachet, it's it's just not true. Like, people hear about movies because of the Oscars. Getting right. eyes on it is important. And every time that horror does show up, there's the conversation about, oh, it's a social thriller. It's not actually horror. <laughs> like, Yes, that that's very annoying to me when people try and pretend like that. Oh, it's a, I, like they, oh, they want to change the title of it because they feel like horror is sort of this like genre that's just all about like cheap scares and gore yeah. and stuff and it's like they feel no, it's, it's below I, them it still counts yeah <laughs> yes exactly. i definitely am conflicted about it but uh it is nice to see that at least some i you know it, it's funny because it's like yeah just do it every couple of years be like all right we'll have one horror movie breakthrough <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, now I, I wonder if like now, because I do think that there are some horror movies that, you know, like you have like A24 and, and even like Blum, certain Blumhouse movies are sort of like giving an art house sort of like, you know, vibe that I feel like it's not that far away. I You know, it seems it seems feasible that something like that could break through and have another one of those moments where it's like this is like you know silence of the lambs or something like that where it's like yeah this is like the big movie of the year and it is like a low budget like horror thriller kind you of you kind of have what's going on with the regular studio system with the horror studios as well in that you kind of have these two titans in A24 and Blumhouse kind of leading mm-hmm. the forefront on like one does a little bit more of like the slower paced more methodical horror and the other one does a little bit more mainstream, but like in your face, kind of very loud and proud horror. 
right. then you also have these kind of burgeoning smaller studios that are putting out some really interesting stuff like uh, oscilloscope and uh, specter vision they're both they're both these like small horror uh, studios that are putting out some really great movies and I, I i think you're totally right in that one of these little weird movies is gonna <laughs> just take off i think yeah, I mean, and I guess even Get Out is already an example of that. Like, I think that yeah, definitely, true. like, you know, transcended and was able to, like, get nominations. And, you know, it wasn't really, like, uh, you know, it was my favorite movie of the year. And it was, like, it didn't get the credit that, you know, you would hope. But it still was, you know, got nominations and stuff, which right. clearly has only happened a handful of times before. Yeah. Uh, and, and before that, it had been almost 20 years before or since the last horror best picture nomination so it was it was a great movie to kind of break that tradition (laughs) yeah not tradition but uh pattern (laughs) break the pattern the curse (laughs) but regardless of how the oscars treat horror (laughs) (laughs) this was a success and it was the highest grossing r-rated movie upon release and it held that record for 18 years until 1991's terminator 2 judgment day But when you adjust it for inflation, this is Warner Brothers' highest grossing movie ever and the ninth highest grossing movie of all time. Wow, jeez. I had no idea it was that huge. Well, it's it's got legs like crazy. I mean, not only does it get a lot of uh, home releases because every couple years they put out another uh, anniversary right. edition uh, but there's also all the midnight showings and stuff as well that that all counts towards it because it stayed so relevant and it's such a great movie that's yeah. helped it to kind of stay uh at, atop that list as well so yeah apparently man that's that's really cool yeah and i know that it definitely like i feel like whenever like halloween starts rolling around i feel like that a lot of people have this where it's like oh i gotta watch the exorcist <laughs> and you know it's like it just feels yeah, appropriate. yeah it, it is like it's an annual tradition for a lot of people and uh and it's a great one because it is such an, a genuinely scary movie <laughs> yeah yeah it's still to this day is like very yeah not only like scary but shocking which i think is rare considering like how long ago they and it. to recognize that cultural relevance in 2010 the library of congress selected this movie to be preserved as part of the national film registry so good for you rogue slapper william friedkin (laughs) (laughs) so for those of you who aren't familiar with the story of this movie it's exceedingly simple in that it's uh really just this little girl gets possessed and uh some priests come in to exercise her (laughs) So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, like it, it, in terms of setup, there's not much to it. But this movie, it really like it takes its time letting mm-hmm. the the tension build before you're even like entertaining the idea that there could be a demon. It's like an hour into the movie. <laughs> like, yeah, before they even really like solidify. Yeah, like it until then, it could even just be like a story about a mom dealing with her daughter's like mysterious illness like it really is just like (laughs) very straightforward it opens up with uh lancaster marin who is uh, max von sydow and he's an old catholic priest Mm -hmm. on an archaeological dig in iraq which is i didn't know that that was something that priests do (laughs) yes that is a good point i hadn't yeah (laughs) he's just out there like being indiana like old indiana jones (laughs) yeah i 
every time I'm like, why is he here? But yeah, that whole like prologue is <laughs> is very interesting. Like it's, I feel like that's a very like '70s kind of thing. Like I think if they made this movie now, that would like get cut out, or would be like a flashback, or would be way shorter and way yeah, and, and like connect more like actually to the plot and not just have it be a little like tone thing at the no, beginning. No, definitely, and it is. It sets the tone incredibly well because. Mm-hmm. That he finds this pendant and without giving us any explicit answers like we just see that he's completely shook he goes to the local bar and like takes a shot to wash down some pills with a shaking hand you're just mm-hmm. like oh man this guy is really in rough shape right now <laughs> and he he heads to a statue that looks just like the stuff that they found <laughs> it's this super intimidating statue he's like it's huge standing on a hill the score is going nuts there's wild dogs fighting there's just like a guy standing there watching him yeah it's so it's i mean it's the movie the movie is telling you like this is so scary and you're like you don't know why you're like what is going on in the i don't know it it, it's i'm pretty sure that the statue has like a very large boner if i if I saw that right like it they don't really like linger on it but i'm pretty sure it's like got a comically oversized you boner. just get a little glimpse yeah no they don't it's not it's not gratuitous they just kind of like let you let you see it on very your own. tasteful yeah and you get all of this like crazy uh unsettling stuff the discordant tones and everything keeping you on edge and then cut to actress chris mcneil and her 12 year old daughter just having a grand old time living on location in the georgetown area of washington Mm dc chris mcneil is like i said an actress Uh, she's starring in a film about student activism which is why she's in georgetown and we see father Karis watching the filming and when she raps for the day chris is on her way home and we get the theme song of the exorcist tubular bells by michael Mm -hmm. oldfield such a great great theme song i mean it's so iconic that's a, another one of my sort of niche uh, things that I love is prog rock. So this movie, you know, <laughs> has everything for me. It's got all the weird time signatures and like weird instrumentation and all that stuff on top of real great horror. So I'm, yeah. It's, right. it's, it's great Are you me. into like Goblin and that sort of thing as well? Because oh, yeah, they Gobl- definitely seem to take like a lot of influence from this sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. I'm not sure if I ever actually made that connection, but they definitely, yeah, Goblin is another one. I I love just when a movie is like not ashamed of its score when a movie really like, it's not just like, oh, we're just going to put a little like bed of strings under Mm -hmm. here to kind of like, they're like, no, here's the score. You know, Goblin has like words that, you know, there's like lyrics (laughs) in it or like tubular bells, like they give it its own sequence. They're like, here is our theme song. We are going to be just, that's all you're doing is just watching them walk home to our song like there's no you know it really like lets it be heard which i think definitely it lets it be heard and that's exactly how you create a lasting impact i mean think of all the john carpenter ones think of all the goblin ones all all these theme songs are so impactful because you have time to absorb it you're not worried about oh what am i missing by paying attention to the score and it's not just working on a subliminal level it's working right in your face you're supposed to be listening to it and enjoying it (laughs) Yeah, for sure. What What's interesting about Tubular Bells, though, is that like, because the intro is pretty scary and it has this really bizarre time signature that I am not even smart enough about music to really understand. But like, 
once it gets later on, it's very pro, you know, like prog rock in the vein of Yes and like all those like 70s bands. Like it's very sort of Baroque almost. Like it's not after those that beginning bit that they, you hear in the movie, like it, it's not that scary anymore. So it's interesting <laughs> that somebody heard that and was like, oh, okay, this part is going to be perfect for our horror movie. Yeah, and it, it, it is perfect for it. And while this, this song is happening, we see little of this relationship between Chris and her mother and they have a very nice relationship it's very affectionate and yeah. it really makes it that much worse when things degrade yeah for sure yeah that's a good yeah they really it, and it's and it all is like a very sort of like 70s like conversational like very loose vibe like it all feels very real and like yeah. not scripted. this extends beyond just chris and uh and reagan we also spent some time with father mcneil or not father mcneil <laughs> father Garris, <laughs> who is a good son but he's lost his faith and he feels like a fraud and he just has this like sorrowful aura about him. It's really a great performance. Yeah, great performance. And yet just like great actor, like he's got sunken, like he's got big cheekbones and he's got mm-hmm. like really kind of like, I, I don't know. Yeah, something about his face just like feels so like, yeah, this is a guy that just is like having a rough time. <laughs> Before he talks about how he's lost his faith, you're like something's yeah, up this guy. For sure. After this is when Reagan finds the Ouija board that we mentioned, and we find out that she had contacted a supposedly imaginary friend who she calls Captain Howdy. Mm-hmm. I saw some really interesting trivia about it where apparently the name of her dad is Howard. Oh. And so Howdy is supposed to call that to mind and it like introduced itself to Reagan as like a fatherly figure because her dad and her mother have separated. Right. And so there's she's like craving the stability of a father figure. And so, you know, this demon introduces huh. itself to her with a name that calls to mind her dad. And it's like you see the name for like a second on a newspaper. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's very. So you mean her dad's name? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I don't know if I even remember it. I kind of like I know that they have the one scene where she's like they're on the phone. But yeah, that's that's interesting. Is that I wonder if that's like that seems like the kind of thing that would be explored more in the book. Like, oh, how she sort of like, you know, was looking for a father figure and the devil comes right. along, <laughs> a demon. <laughs> I'm, your, I'm your new dad, Reagan. <laughs> right. <laughs> she's like, OK. So she she's hanging out with this imaginary friend and things start small. It's just like weird noises in the attic, Reagan's bed shakes, and the weird stuff doesn't stay confined to their house. Reagan, possessed by the demon, is compelled to uh, vandalize a church, including weird like genital spikes <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> on the statue of the Virgin yes. Mary. Half of it is disturbing because you're just like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. And half of it is disturbing because you're just like, what am I even looking at? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like, what? Yeah, like, why would why would they do that? Like, what's what, who's gaining anything from it? Because it's like the scene is literally just priests being like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, no, our statue. That's like, OK. But this hyperactivity and stuff that Reagan is exhibiting leads Chris to take her to the doctors. And this is one of the first one of the first bits that's cut out from the theatrical mm-hmm. version. So there's two versions of this movie. Uh, there's the theatrical and the director's cut, which is also called the version you've never seen before. <laughs> that version is now several years old as yeah. well. So it's should be changed to the version you might have right. seen, depending <laughs> yeah. on how much you looked. <laughs> but there's about 10 extra minutes. And 
one of the scenes that got cut is this initial visit to the doctors. I really like this scene, though. And we hear them talking about, like, oh, well, you know, it, it might just be, like, a nerve disorder. And we get to see the first of the subliminal demon faces. Right. The first time that I watched this, I was not sure that I actually saw it. And so it really freaked <laughs> yeah, me out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it worked perfectly. And... It, it works really well if you're, like, already scared of the movie. It's funny because, like, watching it to take notes, I would, like, I wound up, like, pausing it a bunch. And so I was removed from the, like, fear state of the movie. And, right. like, going through it, like, just, like, staring dead on it, you're like, oh, it's kind of goofy looking. <laughs> it is, yeah. It, well, it was even worse for me because I I only, like, after hearing that you watch the director's cut, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm curious because I've only seen the theatrical version. So I went and I just looked at, like, a website that broke down, like, all the differences. And one of the things that they did do in the version, I, uh, which is true for me, I have not, I haven't seen that much. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but... I mean, all I was looking at, so it was very not scary for me because it was just a, it was just like a still frame with like a little demon head, like in the background, <laughs> like she was like, the, like Chris is like in the kitchen or something. And it's like, Oh, look, there's a little demon by the oven. It's like, oh, okay, that's not scary. <laughs> it definitely like, if you happen to be like looking at that spot already, you see it happening. You're just like, Oh, yeah, hey, man, that's scary. <laughs> uh, interestingly, the original teaser trailer for this movie was nothing but just images of this demon face quickly flashing in and out of the darkness hmm. but it got banned in a lot of theaters because it was deemed too frightening so there you, i guess you're you're just that brave you know uh, yeah oh yeah i'm not scared <laughs> not even a little bit <laughs> and it, this uh the face was actually just a rejected screen test for the makeup for the possessed reagan so they're really uh using every part of the buffalo on this <laughs> i guess so yeah <laughs> and there's one line that i really like in this scene once we move past this uh this demon face where mm -hmm. she's being examined by the doctor and she says i don't feel anything <laughs> i'm just mm -hmm. like oh no reagan <laughs> yeah that's not good <laughs> it's really like it just really unnerved me and it works in response to the doctor because he's like asking her like oh did you feel that but it's also super freaky and she's like acting just weird enough that you're not sure if she's possessed or just like a weird ass kid <laughs> right exactly well that's in it that sort of reminds me of like the i looked into the case that it's based on like the it was like an exorcism that happened i almost want to say somewhere like in the midwest and pretty much the consensus now is that like it was just very exaggerated and it was just like a little a teenager just like being a little shit and just like pranking people and trying to make it seem like he was possessed wow. and that part like having like it's i'm sure in the in that scene it's very affecting but like here i feel like that's like a total teenager thing to be like i don't feel anything and the doctor he's like yeah it's just a nerve disorder and he prescribes her ritalin so Oh, yeah, I think I remember. I feel like they mentioned that again in the version that I saw. Yeah, she's just going to be really focused on her possession. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, he also mentions some obscenities that she uses, atypical behavior for her, according to Chris. Right. I don't want to say what she said, but when you watch the movie, certainly it's shocking to imagine a child saying this. Yeah. They take these pills and the doctor is like, see what happens with this. Talk to us again in a couple weeks. And during a party at their house, Reagan had already been put to bed 
but she comes back downstairs and tells a guest who happens to be an astronaut that he's going to die up there. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then she just pees on the floor. <laughs> that I love that scene. That's so good. It's like scandalous. That she, yes, and that she's like that her, her mom is somehow friends with an astronaut <laughs> who's like about to go like on a mission to space. Yeah. Like, all of that is just so like it's very, I don't know, something very like interesting about that. That that was what they chose to. It's the like, golden age of CD. Hollywood, kid. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> After this happens, she gets brought back up to bed, and in like a very small voice, asks her mom, "What's wrong with her?" It's heartbreaking, man. You're like, oh, yeah, this poor kid. Sure. Chris comforts her and walks out, but she has to immediately run back in because Re- uh, Reagan's bed begins to shake violently, and this is a, a pivotal moment in the movie. Because, first of all, Chris sees it. Second of mm-hmm. all, we see it. And third of all, it's obviously not something that Reagan is doing. Meanwhile, Father Karras is having dreams about the pendant and also his mother, who recently died in squalor, taking several days before anyone noticed. He talks with her in her apartment, and he's like, hey, you shouldn't live here alone. And then she's like, this is my house. I'm going to stay here. And then she falls. Father Karras talks to his uncle and is like, you should move. You shouldn't leave her in this place. Like, we should move her to a private hospital. And he says, like, we don't have money for that. And so she just gets turned out into the street, basically, (laughs) and goes back to her apartment and uh, just dies there. It's it's pretty intense. My, My mom for a long time was a geriatric care manager and so like her whole thing was making sure that elderly people could stay in their homes for as long as possible but like mm. this when I'm, I'm this kind of thing always makes me be like uh oh, maybe old people should be in like a community <laughs> because like just dying alone in your apartment like that it really just fills me with dread <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's one of the like very real life horrors that they show in this movie that like, uh, you know, is not supernatural at all, but still is like very disturbing Mm -hmm. in a way. And another one is coming right up because Mm -hmm. Chris consults a bunch more doctors who think that it's being caused by a lesion in uh, Reagan's head and they go in for a uh, carotid angiography. And this scene is apparently extremely realistic. <laughs> it was... I, I think if I understood what I was reading, not only just realistic, it was real. Like, they just performed the, like, you know, whatever sort of, like, blood... You know, I feel like that scene where they're drawing blood, which is maybe one of the more disturbing <laughs> scenes in the movie, is, like, just them actually taking Linda Blair. Pretty crazy. Blood. I genuinely don't remember one way or the other, so I can't say. But if it's yeah. not, it's incredible looking. If it is... God damn, that's commitment. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, even if it's like not, even if they faked it for this, like their doctors or whoever were like, this is so accurate, yeah. which means that either way, it's, you know, it's showing you what is happening, what happens to in real right. life. And not only were they like, this is extremely realistic. They literally used it as like, they would show it in classes and be like, this is what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> And they stab into her artery in her neck and just like a bunch of blood Mm -hmm. squirts out. And I'm just like, God, the human body is so gross. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's that that scene is interesting just in that it's like I feel like the whole movie is like really does not ever get into sort of like 
horror tropes like it never really kind of like telegraphs this is a horror movie like it feels very kind of like you're it's just documenting like all the horrible stuff that's going on but that's one scene where it's very like experiential and it's very you know you feel like it's happening to you and Mm -hmm. it's like the the this sort of scene that's like has the most like sort of like horror editing and horror like <laughs> perspective is is a scene where it's they're in like a doctor's office which is very interesting <laughs> definitely and this sort of thing is is the kind of thing that like gets me in my own head and i start thinking about like oh this little lump of muscle is the only thing keeping me alive and like it's just yeah, it's sure. just nasty and you add that horror editing that you're talking about to it and you're just like oh god just keep it keep it moving and i mean on top of all that it's extremely scary if you have even the slightest bit of empathy because linda blair is doing an incredible job uh Poor mm-hmm. Reagan is there. She's alone. Things are clanking and moving around her. And yeah. like, the worst part is, after all of that, they don't even find anything wrong with her. And like, yes. the only thing scarier than medical stuff is ineffective medical stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, that's and you feel like I feel like they'll cut. Also, you know, you you see her like she's in clearly in pain and clearly super uncomfortable. And then you cut to her mom who is like, what I, you know, I want to help my daughter, but this is supposedly for the mm-hmm. best and we need to figure out what's wrong. You know, you just like feel that like everybody's having a bad time in this <laughs> scene. Like it just is like every, it, bad. They don't find anything more fucked up stuff keeps happening to Reagan. There's no sign of an answer. And Chris is understandably exhausted. One night she's out. Uh, and Burke Dennings, who is Chris's friend and the director of the movie that she's in, mm-hmm. he, we also see him during that party scene getting extremely drunk, uh, <laughs> calling a guy a Nazi bastard. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's the they're like the the uh, servant man, like the butler guy in the house <laughs> is like just like who is such a nice you know like <laughs> man helping out throughout the movie. He just is like being a complete asshole to him for no yeah. reason. He basically he has a drinking problem. Like this is known among the group, but <clears throat> he was babysitting uh, a heavily sedated Reagan while the nanny mm-hmm. was out picking up her meds. And Chris returns to hear that uh, he's died falling out of the window. While Chris is processing the death of her friend, Reagan does this spider walk down the stairs with blood pouring out of her mouth. This is another director's cut edition, so was not in the version that you watched. But uh, I'm curious what you think about this sort of scene and, and what it adds to it. So the subliminal faces, the spider walk, those are the two like scarier like quote unquote scary things that are put into it and i'm curious right. if you feel like those really add anything to the movie or if you like the pacing that's in the version that you watch without these kind of i don't want to call them cheap because they're certainly fine but like they yeah. are definitely like just meant to shock you sort of stuff Right. That, yeah, it was interesting. And, you know, I did watch it out of context, but like, I know that that spider walk, like somehow has become very iconic. And I feel like a lot of people, when they hear exorcist, they think of, you know, the head spinning or her walking down the stairs like that, even though it wasn't yeah. actually like ever in the original cut. I watched it out of context, like on YouTube, just cause I was like, Oh, I wonder. And, and it did feel out of place in a way. It felt like you were saying like very, you know, horror movie, like yeah. it was there only to scare you. And, it didn't necessarily feel like it was quite in the tone of the rest of the movie like that's one of my favorite things about 
this movie in general is just that it almost feels like they made it obviously not but it's like it, it like doesn't even know it's a horror movie it feels like it's shot as if it's like a family drama about like a mom dealing with her daughter and like a priest finding his faith again kind of thing like it feels like if you cut out all the horror stuff and the possession stuff like you would be left with like a movie it would mm-hmm. feel natural that it was like a drama and so i feel like stuff like that them playing a little bit too far into that like oh no this is like the big shocking scary movie and so we have to like try and like (laughs) in our new version we have to make it even scarier and more shocking and it's like oh i like that it's like not trying to necessarily i'm conflicted on the two versions because i agree with you that i could probably leave the subliminal faces and the spider uh walk but some of the other scenes that are added are th- scenes that I really like, like the uh, the medical scene at the beginning where mm-hmm. um, he's prescribing the Ritalin and everything, and the scene in between exorcism sessions. They're like sitting on the stairs and just talking to each other, and it's yeah. really nice dialogue, and you get to really see kind of the state that they're in after this test that they're going through. And I think that that's a really effective scene, but is it worth slowing down the movie to kind of insert these uh, shoehorned bits of scares? Like, it's it's definitely, it's tough. So another thing I'm going to say, listeners, you have two pieces of homework. Let us know which which version of the movie you prefer (laughs) if you have a preference. So, but... Because of Burke's history with heavy drinking, it's assumed that this was an accident, but uh, Lieutenant William Kinderman is on the case. Uh, He's great, but this character actually does persist into The Exorcist 3 as well. Oh, really? I haven't seen any of the sequels. Exorcist 2, very bad. Exorcist 3, incredible. Really, really great. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, George C. Scott plays Lieutenant Kinderman in that one, and he's a great actor. Also... Um, the actor who voices Chucky, uh, he's also in Deadwood, Brad Dourif. (laughs) Yes, Brad Dourif. Um, He's great. Yeah, he is great. And and he's in The Exorcist 3. And so it's kind of interesting the way that Exorcist 2 and Exorcist 3 are both linked to The Exorcist 1, but they don't, like Exorcist 2 does not lead into Exorcist 3. (laughs) So Hmm. there's kind of like an interesting parallel, uh, vibe going on there all all yeah. i'll say is that it makes it very easy to ignore the exorcist too <laughs> okay is that the one i feel which one has like james earl yeah. jones and has all it has like is yeah. that like and there's like voodoo stuff yeah in it or that one is uh, okay yeah it's not good <laughs> gotcha i'm still curious i still kind of want to watch both of them now so you you Uh-oh. did a bad job well, <laughs> keeping me away yeah well uh, you know what as long as you do continue on to three and you don't let it dissuade you i'll okay. say that uh you you've got yourself a, okay. a help. yeah i'll yeah. keep going um <laughs> so kinderman is on the case uh he interviews chris and he consults with father Karras, who in addition to being a priest is a psychiatrist and he reveals that before he burke hit the ground his head was turned completely around yes you're like oh uh demon strength (laughs) that sucks (laughs) right (laughs) but the doctors still think that the weirdness is psychosomatic and so they recommend an exorcism as a placebo thinking that even if it's just that she thinks the demon has been expelled she'll go back to normal so Mm -hmm. i guess it's kind of like a what's the worst that happens (laughs) 
Right, I get, yeah, like, at that point, the doctors are also getting desperate yeah. and are like, uh, I guess <laughs> give this a shot. <laughs> um, and while Chris thinks it over, Reagan masturbates with a crucifix in one of the most upsetting scenes I've ever seen, I think. <laughs> Like, not even, yeah. not even because of like the sacrilege to me. Which, like, sure, I'm, I'm sure that that affects a lot of people when they're watching it. But like, she's also like covered in blood and being compelled to stab herself, <laughs> and she's like yes. pathetically trying to resist. It's really just awful to watch. That that scene is so because like yeah, like you were saying, like the whole movie leading up to that is very slow burn and is very, you know, like there's a couple sort of quick moments, but overall it feels very grounded and it feels like before that they're like, Okay, this might just be uh, you know, in her head. Maybe there's some kind of like, you know, explanation for all this and that's what all the characters are going on and then it just throws everything (laughs) at you all at once where it's like she's doing she's like doing the crucifix stuff which is like already disturbing but then it's like she slaps her mom so hard she goes flying across the room you see ellen burston actually break her ass (laughs) (laughs) and then like and then the head turn happens and then she's levitating furniture. It's like so much stuff all crammed into that one scene that and before it, like nothing of that, anything close to that crazy has happened. And it just is so overwhelming and just like, Oh my God. Uh, I'm pretty yeah, sure that, that that's, that that's classic so kid stuff, Andy. <laughs> um, <laughs> you never, I mean, yeah, maybe it's psychosomatic or whatever, but she also speaks in the voice of Burke, which is messed up. Oh yeah, um, right. And and like you said, not only is this like way more intense, but this is also the most aggressive that the demon has been because prior to this, things are moving and things are shaking, but it's not really like it's kind of just poltergeisty stuff at that point. Yeah, right. And then in most of the time like it seems like Reagan is like present and saying like what's going on? Help me and not like, you know, yeah. swearing and like hitting people <laughs> right. and stuff like. Yeah, like she screams like lick me, forces her mother to like get it's yes. it's awful. That also is very yeah. <laughs> Um and this is actually toned down a lot from the book. So Blatty is a sick bastard. <laughs> That was, oh yeah, I remember reading, um, they were talking about the deleted scenes, and so apparently, they, I, I, I feel like this is almost a direct quote from the Wikipedia, where they're like, the spider walk in the movie, or in the, the spider walk scene in the book is toned down, where it's not her coming down the stairs, she is walking She's like licking at her mom's Ugh. heels Ugh. with a with like a snake like tongue or something like that. And I'm like, that's not toned down. That's worse. That's, that's crazy. Way worse. <laughs> oh, but they said that it was more toned. It's like no, whoever whoever uh, someone has to put a little citation needed <laughs> on that section because it's not toned down. Yeah. Oh my god. On top of that, they're like, okay. Chris Chris goes to meet with Karis and she's like she really just nails this scene like she's trying so hard to hold mm-hmm. it together but the cracks are showing and she literally she yeah. says Jesus Christ won't somebody help me and it's so desperate and sad and you're just like oh yeah. my god and she's got and she's like trying to hide it but she's got a black eye from just getting hit by her yeah. kid like it just is so horrible it is and then and that, that also is interesting in that care like the doctors have suggested this and then on the other hand Karis who is like is you know lost his faith is like 
no, it's a bad idea. Like, yeah. don't do this. Like, it's not real. The, like, exorcisms aren't really, like, sanctioned by the church. Like, he's trying to, like, tell her why it's not a good idea. When Karis agrees, finally, and enters Reagan's room, it is shocking. <laughs> like, what yeah. the difference between what we left her at <laughs> and what she's at now is awful. Right. She's, like, mottled and cut up, and she has, like, a feeding tube in her nose, and her eyes are this weird green. She's strapped to the bed and covered in vomit, and so is Karis after she projectile pukes on him. Yep. <laughs> this is... And that's another one of um, uh, Friedkin's classic pranks, <laughs> where I guess uh, he wanted a real reaction, so he told the actor that the vomit was going to hit him in the <laughs> chest and then they shot it right in his face and so his like shocked disgusted reaction apparently is very real in that scene sure hey i think pea soup is disgusting so i get it <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny if he was like oh. he liked it he's like yeah lunchtime <laughs> So yeah, but so he goes in there, he gets hit with this, and then Reagan starts speaking backwards in different voices, calling out for Marin, mm-hmm. and she gets these like scars in the form of the words "Help me" on her stomach. God, yeah, that's rough. Those are that's really frightening. That's yeah, and that's a, another funny thing where like so in the movie that's super scary and effective, but in this it, like that was taken from the like exorcism case that this was based on. Except, like, the teen had just carved, oh like, hell into <laughs> himself, which is, like, a total, like, the whatever, I forget, they, they, like, the Wikipedia page had, like, words that he had carved into, or, like, that, you know, apparently had appeared on him, even though people just think he did it, but it's funny that it's, like, very, like, edgy teen words, <laughs> where it's, like, Christ and hell and stuff. He, like I heard that, he also did the, like, Stussy S. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the effect is really cool, and Dick Smith, he he's the one who did this uh, effect here, Yeah, and it's really great. He built a foam latex replica of her body, uh, wrote the words with a paintbrush and cleaning fluid, and that chemical reaction, like, created this, like, blister, and when he heated the blister, it would deflate, and so they did this and ran the film backwards, wow. and that's what we see in the movie, so movie magic. <laughs> That, I mean, yeah, just in general, like, Dick oh, Smith, the, the makeup effects in general are just so incredible. Like, I feel like everyone talks about it. But, yeah, like, you so buy that Max von Sydow is an old guy. Like, there's no, yeah. like... He's 40. It's, it's so well done. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, like, he looks... He's, like, that old now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's it, is that yeah, in a lot of people's mind, they're like, Max von Sydow has been old forever. And it's only because yeah, of this exactly. makeup job. <laughs> But it also is a little bit, it's like, I don't know why, like, because he's old the whole movie. It's not, like, I don't know why they picked a younger guy, yeah. I guess, just because they liked his <laughs> acting or something. But it was like, yeah, I don't know. I, I was kind of, I think when I thought back, like, I hadn't seen in a while. And I think I was like, oh, he probably was young in that, like, prologue in the Iraq scene. But no, he's old there, yeah. too. Like, he's just like. It's like not even really that much of a prologue. It's just kind of like happening to the side because later when the ex, when the priests right. are talking, they're like, oh, yeah, Father Marin just got back. And it's like. Right, yeah, hell? it's like it's not like yeah, it's it's like really just like a quick beginning scene showing you where he's coming <laughs> from. Yeah, but hey, it works for me. So, and yeah. this assortment of behaviors leads Karis to believe that she is possessed and that she needs this exorcism. But like you said, the church needs to approve it. So, Marin, who performed an exorcism in the fifties, we finally understand why we've been 
seeing him this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Though we didn't see that. We didn't see him perform an exorcism. We saw him on an archaeological Yeah, you'd think that they would be like, all right, show this bit. (laughs) Right. But hey, whatever. And he's selected to perform the actual exorcism, and Karis is just going to assist. And boy, this shot, when he steps out of the cab into the foggy night, it's... Uh, it's yeah. the poster image, and with great reason. I mean, it's just incredible. It's creepy. It's ominous. It's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's. I mean, it's like uh, like a his hero shot. It's like here he's. <laughs> you know, it's like here comes this like badass guy that we've been like. You know, it's like he, we don't even know how he fits into the movie until right now, and it's like oh, it's, and that's another scene where I feel like it's so effective because there are very few actual like real moody spooky Mm -hmm. shots and that one just like goes all out and makes it's all foggy and there's like a big beam of light like uh yeah it's so good (laughs) yes uh, our hero shot of an old old man with a heart disease (laughs) (laughs) a very frail old man is here to save the day (laughs) both priests witness reagan lift the bed like two feet off the floor <laughs> and, yes, and, like immediately. Yeah, and uh, she vomits prodigiously. <laughs> mm-hmm. She she floats up into the air herself as well, and they attempt to exercise this demon, but the demon just kind of toys with them, especially Karis. This is where they take the break and they rest in the stairwell, and they just kind of talk about what's going on. And I don't, I really wish that this scene hadn't been cut because Karis yeah. asks why the little girl. And Marin says that the point is to make them despair, to show them animal and ugly, and reject the possibility that God could love them. And it's so much more effective to have this kind of, like, understanding of, like, the strength and resolve that these guys know that they need to show, but it's still affecting them. I mean, by, by choosing this little girl, we understand that the, the possession, the ripples are much larger because... Instead of one sad person who just gets abandoned by the people who love them and and when they start going crazy, it's a little girl and now it affects her mother and it affects the priests. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think that this scene does a really good job of kind of exploring that from the perspective of the priests. Did you watch this when you were uh, checking the stuff out? Yeah, so... This one is actually interesting because I, I watched like a little I for it must have been on a DVD or something, but someone uploaded it to yeah. YouTube where it was like William Friedkin and um, was it William Peter Blatty, the, the writer were like it was like a little interview with them leading into each deleted scene talking about like the context and stuff for it. And so that one had William Friedkin and he says that was a scene that uh, Blatty was like, I really want this to be in it. You know, it tells you it it, like gives you so much more information. It tells you like, you know, sort of the point of what's going on. (laughs) And William Friedkin was like, I didn't like it because I thought like the movie is all about this. Like we shouldn't have to explain what it is. You know, it should be like, yeah, we shouldn't have to spell it out. But then he's like, well, I just, I love him. So I would love like him so much. And he did such a great job writing this. And he gave me like my best material that I've ever done. (laughs) So I just put it in, I put it in the deletes, wow. like in the in my director's cut, just for him. So it was clear that he never he didn't change his mind. He still apparently didn't think that that was a scene that should be in there. But he was like, "Oh well, just to be nice to my friend." For you, Vladdy, <laughs> the, I'm the, doing it for you. <laughs> yeah, 
though i though i in especially like thinking about it in context i totally agree i think that's a good scene and i also just in terms of pacing i feel like when by the time like father Marin shows up that move it moves so yeah. fast and it feels like they're really like they don't ever really even like leave the room and it's just like so many things and so much like crazy spooky demon stuff is happening that it would be seems like a nice thing to have like a little like break yeah. and just have them like talk for yeah a bit. it definitely breaks it up and it- it lets you get back to a point where you can get ready to be scared again. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. They go back in for round two and Marin dismisses Karis because uh, Mm -hmm. he says that he's going to attempt the exorcism alone because Karis hesitates in prior attempts and the demon uh, is his mother. (laughs) And, uh, right, it, the demon knows exactly what to say to like piss him off and throw him right. off. So it's like I'm sure Marin is like, yeah, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The demon is he got into Karis's head, so Marin says get out. But after hearing some hubbub from the room, Karis mm-hmm. uh, goes <laughs> like kerfuffle. Yeah, he he goes back into the room and discovers that Marin has died of a heart attack. <laughs> he just starts like punching his chest. <laughs> to try and revive yes him. that's right yeah he's like two-handed like just slamming down as hard yeah. as he can on him to get to get that old heart pumping <laughs> it, it doesn't work <laughs> and no shockingly Karis yes, uh, is in a rage <laughs> and he starts mm. wailing on the kid <laughs> yes like, in any other he just has to punch something yeah which he, and he's a boxer too we see him uh we see him training in earlier <laughs> oh my god i didn't even think about that <laughs> Yeah, so he probably has given her his best his best right hook or whatever. You're just like, oh my god, what's happening? And he's confronting this demon, and he wrestles Reagan's body to the ground, and he lets it possess him instead of her. Mm-hmm. But before he can be compelled to do anything, it, it's it's clearly trying to make it make him kill Reagan. He manages to take uh, control of his body once more, and he hurls himself out the window and tumbles down the steepest stairs ever made. right uh it's just absolutely brutal also kind of a like it's kind of a gross fun fact but uh the sound of the demon leaving reagan's body is the sound of pigs being herded for slaughter (laughs) so wow yeah i I feel like i didn't even i i don't like that whole scene is so chaotic i don't even remember like what you hear but yeah that's that's interesting (laughs) and father dyer who's a friend of father karis's that we've seen kind of throughout the movie just kind of popping in Mm -hmm. and out he was walking past the house and he administers the last rites to his friend who's basically just like a Mm -hmm. puddle at this point right he's literally communicating by wiggling his fingers and you're just like, oh God. Yeah. And it's it's really gross, but it's also very sad. And you're like, this death scene is very affecting because it's such an act of self sacrifice. Right. I'm, what do you, what do you think about this? This kind of do you think it's a fitting end for him? I mean, it it's it's pretty bleak in that it's like he you know the whole movie is him trying to you know get his faith back and it's him trying to sort of atone for you know whether or not he somehow like failed his mother or not and it's like he really only has that one little moment of like redemption where he's able you know his his redemption is really just that he has a quick moment where he gets to regain control of his body and then kill himself (laughs) so it's like you know he he really does not you know like his story throughout the movie is pretty much just all tragedy but it's like he really you know 
sacrifices himself to save a little girl so you know it's it's he's heroic but also it it is very sad like you say you know and it's very horrific (laughs) like he just is like lying there in a pool of blood like while his friend you know gives him his final last rites like but yeah i mean i think it's a fantastic ending i think it really like sticks with you and it is a great resolution without kind of like really making it a super happy like upbeat ending yeah absolutely it definitely kind of is bittersweet and reagan is back to her normal self after we jump ahead a couple Mm -hmm. days and she's preparing to leave for los angeles with her mother and she doesn't have any memory of the possession but when she sees father dyer's collar she's moved and she gives him a kiss on the cheek and Mm -hmm. kinderman is still there still kind of investigating what's going on you know now he has to check out father Mm -hmm. karis's death so the the corpses are piling up around Kinderman, and right. <laughs> he, uh, he befriends Father Dyer while saying goodbye to Chris and Reagan. And it's like, this is a nice, you know, even in the darkest moments, there is this light of new friendships being forged. And it's kind of a happy ending with a little bit of hope, you know, as long as you don't follow yeah. up on these characters in the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> right so in that it is a direct sequel like it's like reagan and everything what happens to them yeah next? well so exorcist 2 okay. uh is reagan grown up and uh exorcist 3 is kinderman investigating a serial killer in mm, the same okay. area in like the georgetown area so kinderman is an interesting character just in general in that it's like he kind of it feel he that feels like a, a thing that would be make perfect sense in the novel but like i feel like if you were looking at this like as a very traditional like fill you know like i feel like now they would be like oh cut him out he doesn't do anything like you don't need him (laughs) he just is there to kind of like build out the characters and like maybe get a bit of exposition but you know he he kind of is just there on the fringe the whole definitely and i think that you can absolutely tell when first of all when something is adapted from a book i think it's pretty easy to tell but also, especially when it's adapted by a novelist. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, the, I'm sure there are stuff that he, like, was very precious about. And he's like, oh, I can't. No, I'm not Kinderman. Like, I love, you know, he's like, I, he's such a great character. But yeah. it's like, yeah, I mean, I, though I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that he's in there. Like, I like that the movie sort of is like, you know, in a lot of ways doesn't feel like a horror movie that would be made today. Like, I appreciate how, like, you know, unique it is. Yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, Blatty was a little precious about Kinderman, considering that uh, mm. the the movie that follows him, Exorcist 3, is also uh, based on a book that Blatty wrote and also is directed uh-huh. by Blatty. <laughs> so. Yeah, okay, so he loves him. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he refused to let him be cut out. Yeah, of he's, a, he's a kinder stan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 a nice ending. Uh, I think that it works to kind of a- a- add a silver lining to this very otherwise bleak ending. And I, I just think that it's great. A- and so much of the little pieces of this movie just work in such an interesting way that, you know, we've, we've mm-hmm. reached now the point, Andy, where we're going to sum up why mm-hmm. this is the best horror movie ever made. So why don't you go ahead and I'll let you start us off. But yeah, just, just tell the folks like... What what makes all these pieces work together in such an effective way? Man, I mean, I th- I I think what is so effective for me is what like what I was talking about. Where this is a movie that I think seems very removed, like in in a good way. Like it it, it seems like it's a movie that approaches a horror story in a way that 
isn't just like trying to do something similar to what other horror movies are doing. Like, I feel like it approaches it purely from like a filmmaking standpoint. And it, it looks at it and goes like, what's the most like, how can we portray the emotions of this scene? And how can we like do best by these characters rather than like, how can we just like ring the maximum amount of like tension and scares from this movie? And for me, like that uniqueness makes it, I don't know, like it, it you know, it, it clearly is, was effective and clearly like still is popular today. I think because of that, because it really doesn't feel like any other horror movie. And that's what makes me like to, I enjoy revisiting it so much is because that it just seems so not interested in falling into any horror trope really at all. Like, I don't think there's like a single thing that this movie does that's in there just because that's what horror movies do. And that's, I think what just makes it so uh, such a standout and so much fun to watch. And, and something that really also I think kind of like transcends just the genre horror fandom like I think it really is effective for anybody watching it yeah, that was pretty good <laughs> <laughs> definitely and I, I think that you hit the nail on the head with a lot of uh, what you were saying about avoiding the tropes and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that this is just such a forefather of horror like this is yeah. it's it's a classic both in terms of its influence, but also a classic in terms of it's an old movie. Like this came out Mm -hmm. before a lot of these tropes were entrenched in horror. So it avoided them just because they weren't there to lean on. And so because it didn't have these, these things to prop it up, it needs to instead focus on the story. It needs to focus on these characters. And what makes it the best horror movie to me is that while all of the actual scare stuff is great i love the makeup of reagan i think that the demon is so fun uh it has some really affecting imagery in terms of the crucifix in terms of the spinning head but to me what makes it so effective is that the real horror is found in the character moments the real horror is watching chris mcneil try and fail to keep her composure it's in watching reagan be terrified of what's happening to her this perspective on not just the scares, but what the scares do to the people around them, uh, I think is so effective and so great. And um, to me, that's why this is the best horror movie ever made. Yeah. Great. Yeah, totally. Uh, this was so much fun. I want to thank you for coming on. Yeah, it was a blast. We've now reached the plug section. So why don't you go ahead and uh, <laughs> tell the people what you got going on? Um, yeah, being being a horror fan, I feel like, especially like, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure this is like, every anyone out there that like is also a horror fan can relate that like as soon as it starts getting into the like mid you know september (laughs) area and the air you know it starts getting a little colder like i just like something in me is just like oh man it's halloween time like i can't and i like make a huge list of all the horror movies i want to watch and then the other thing that i do is i suddenly get the urge to do some kind of overly complicated (laughs) horror themed creative project and so the past two years or the, the previous two years before this one i made a like horror choose your own adventure thing called werewolf house and so if you go to werewolfhouse.com you can play that where it's like it started out as just a squarespace (laughs) site that i kind of turned into a thing that lets you kind of click through and reveal a dumb silly story about werewolves and stuff then i somehow 
turned it into a game which almost killed me it was i have no experience coding or doing anything like that and i tried i very like brute forced it and it kind of works <laughs> um, not great but it's it's out there so i did that and then this year i made a uh, crypt keeper musical uh, a, a musical where the crypt keeper sings and you know tells spooky stories and stuff uh, and now I, I really don't know what I'm going to do for this year because that also, <laughs> like I, I keep trying to top myself and it's, I like at some point it's going to just be like physically yeah. impossible to do more in a month than what I seriously, do. I can't believe yeah. like, I, uh, first of all, I loved werewolf house. I played through it. It's Thank absolutely you. a blast. The art in it is super fun. It has a lot of great music in it. Obviously you talked about music before, but I mean, the music in the game is fantastic and I, uh, saw you talking about this Crypt Keeper musical on Twitter and I am I'm so jealous of everyone who got to see it like I'm a big fan of the Crypt Keeper going back a long time so uh, I definitely uh, mm-hmm. am and and envious but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what you come up with uh n- this year but also definitely don't kill <laughs> <Me> yourself <too. laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully not. We'll see. Um, it, though, yeah, so that's if somebody, yeah, werewolfhouse.com for the werewolf thing. But now if it's out there now, if people do uh, want to see it, I, the video of the full, the full video, of the performance and like an audio version I made, like where it's basically like a radio play that has like sound effects and, you know, uh, voiceover and stuff like that. It's uh, andyneese.com slash crypt is, is yeah. where you can watch all that. So, I had no idea. I'll definitely go. go watch that. Yeah. Well, that I, yeah, it's kind of a thing where I'm not sure how far and wide we want to put it out there at the moment just because it's like we want to do it again. Right. <laughs> and it will be fun to get more people in the seats. But it's like it's out. Yeah. I mean, it's we're not hiding it or anything. So like people are free to go check it out, especially if like you're not <laughs> in the L.A. <laughs> in area. L.A. and have no chance of actually going to see it. Yeah. Well, uh, just just um, keep it to the cool people uh listeners you know, right send yeah it, send the, it to the, the listeners to the podcast that have listened this far you're definitely cool you definitely get to go yeah watch. no narcs great uh anything else that you want to plug uh did you say your twitter handle oh uh yeah it's i so i never know how to say it. it's niesage it's my last name k-n-e-i-s-a-g-e i should probably just make it my real <laughs> name at this point who cares but you know uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I, I, it's, it's a good follow because I never post anything. <laughs> so you can just follow me and I won't bug yet. You can. Just, yeah. But when you do get the tweet, mo- it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe not, but it's usually just me going like, here's another dumb thing I made. Like check out the link and I'll be back in, a, <laughs> in next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The good ones. <laughs> Um, right. but yeah, and you can also, you'll, you'll hear Andy on the flagrant ones, um, popping up. Yes, that there. Too. So check out the flavor ones, a podcast that I adore it's on Patreon. So go, uh, go support Andy that way as well. And you can find me on Twitter at Gerg Hef. You can find the show on Twitter at little horror PHL. That same like username applies to Instagram and Facebook as well. We're on letterboxd at George Hef. Ooh, I'm gonna. Fo- I don't know if I follow you on uh, there. Well, I'm there you go. Get to it. Right now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, and there's merch on T Public. Rate us, review us. It helps a lot for real. It does help people. <laughs> so if you're enjoying mm-hmm. the show, please, please do those things, and uh, tell a friend. Beyond that, I think that that's it for me. So. Thanks again for coming on, Andy. I'm really glad I finally got to talk about this one. And uh, yeah, this was super. Yeah, fun. definitely. So, bye, everyone. All right. Bye, everybody. Keep happy haunting.